Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 11 through 27. If you're getting used to your Bible, Luke's about three-fourths of the way back. If you're using one of the black Bibles that's in the seat rack nearby, it's on page 733. It'll be the very, right there at the top of the page for you, verse 11. Now, as we've been making our way through Luke, we've been trying to learn uh, from Jesus uh, how to be like him, and also the things that he wants to teach us that change our mind from the way that we are thinking to the way that he thinks. And so today is the parable of the 10 minus. I've never taught on this before. I've really never studied it that much before. So again, I'm grateful for the privilege. And I'm hoping that as a result of us looking at it today, that you'll find yourself understanding and appreciating more about responsibility. Responsibility in the kingdom of God. Now, three weeks ago, uh, we looked at the rich young ruler. And I happened to be the teacher that day. And I remember that when I was preparing the message notes back there in my office, one of the lines that came out of me that I wasn't expecting, you know, sometimes that process is mysterious, but God shows us, was this first line in the message notes today. So if you're following along, what I want you to notice as we've been going all through Luke is that Jesus sees everything in light of the kingdom of God. Jesus sees everything in light of the kingdom of God. I don't always, you may not either, but he always looked at life and said, okay, in terms of the scope of the big picture, in terms of the scope of what it would look like if God was in charge of someone's life. Here's how that plays out. And so the rich young ruler could not see the value of money properly because he didn't see it in light of the kingdom of God. He just saw it in light of himself and what the world says about that. And whenever you think about the kingdom of God, Michael just led us in a song. It means to let him have his way in us, among us. Uh, the kingdom is wherever the king gets his way. That means it can be anytime, any place, anywhere. And the kingdom is not when you know is not actually in fullness when the king is not getting his way. And so I want to talk to you today about responsibility in the kingdom of God and seeing everything in light of the kingdom of God. And uh, if you're following along, the next thought here is that many want kingdom benefits not kingdom responsibility. Again, if you're following along, many want kingdom benefits, not kingdom responsibility. That's what's going on in our text here. In Jesus' day, they loved hearing about the Messiah arriving because all they could understand is what it was going to do for them. And that's somewhat understandable because they've been going through some suffering. They've been going through difficult times. And so the idea of a Messiah showing up and bringing benefits was great news. Now, please, no one hear me ever say that you shouldn't appreciate and want the benefits of the kingdom. But if you and I want the benefits of the kingdom and not the responsibility of the kingdom, that's where shallow Christianity lives. Shallow simply means unsurrendered to the king. 
Therefore, as we fight shallow Christianity in our lives and let God deal with that, he's always looking for a way to grow us up. And the way he grows us up is through responsibility. So here's the question. What's, the, what's your thought when you hear the word responsibility? I'll just be honest, okay? I'll just stand a little way here so God doesn't hear me. <laughs> I don't always like it. In fact, my culture has taught me, how can we be responsibility-free? We talk about retirement, early retirement, so I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to have as much responsibility. Now, all I want to say is, again, some of those things are nice, but the truth is, Jesus wants to turn our understanding of responsibility on its head. He wants to teach us a different way than we understand about responsibility. And I'm praying today that you will find yourself, as a result of this parable, the 10 minus, thinking about responsibility in the kingdom of God in its beautiful meaning. So let me pray, and then we'll make our way through the verses. God, thank you so much for the chance to gather, the chance to learn, the chance to know you, the chance to follow you. I pray you'd meet us where we are and bring us to where you want us to be. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, so I'll read verse 11 there, and then when it comes to verse 12, I'll read the first two words of that verse and then ask you to read the rest of 12 and 13 with me and also be ready to read verse 26. Are you ready? Here we go. While they were listening to this, what's this? Jesus' conversation with Zacchaeus. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, now would you read with me? A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Then it goes on, verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have it collected with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. Now would you read verse 26 with me? I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, 
even what they have will be taken away. Verse 27, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. All right, let's look at it. I'll try and move quickly through this parable. First, this helped me a lot this week. Jesus refers to a familiar event, if you're following along. Jesus refers to a familiar event in Jericho, but with a twist. But with a twist. What do I mean? Just to give you some backdrop, ever since Luke 9.51, Luke tells us that Jesus had been making his way to Jerusalem. Now, he is in Jericho. That's where Zacchaeus was. And uh, I love Steve's joke last week, by the way. I really did. He got my permission. It was a short joke in case you weren't here. Anyway, so he's in Jericho. In Jericho, there were several well-known places. One was a palace of a guy named Archelaus. Now, the story of Archelaus is what Jesus is referencing to in this parable, but he's doing it with a twist. So let me read to you what one scholar has written. The historical background to this story provides a further link to what Jesus was saying in this parable and how his listeners would have understood exactly what was happening. As noted above, rulers had to go to Rome to officially receive their appointments. In other words, Rome was the ruling power of the world and the emperor would bestow kings in different regions of his uh, reign. So, The visit there by one of Herod the Great's sons, Archelaus, provided the setting for this parable. Archelaus was an evil man who had murdered 3,000 Jews at the first Passover after becoming their ruler. Truly, his subjects hated him. So when he went off to Rome, the Jews sent a delegation to plead for him not to be given the title of king. The emperor gave Archelaus the authority to rule, but did not give him the title of king until he would prove himself worthy. Unfortunately, he never improved, so he never received the title. In other words, when he came back from Rome, he wasn't made king. The fact that this was told near Jericho makes the Archelaus connection even more interesting, for Archelaus had built a beautiful palace in that city. Now, Jesus takes the story of a guy like Archelaus that goes off to Rome, would have taken two or three months to get there before he could turn around and come back. And he tells how Archelaus went to be, hopefully, designated as king, but he's not. When Jesus tells this story, he is definitely trying to correct people's understanding of the kingdom of God and also what kind of king he will be. I told you back in Luke 9.51, that it says that Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he had a mission, not to be crowned king then, but to suffer in our place. He was a suffering Messiah, not a political, not a material, physical Messiah that people were ever hoping for. So they're all excited, and even when they hear him say, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. They're thinking, yeah, bring Israel back to its full power. Do all the things that'll give us the benefits we've been losing. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, I came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost? You once had a relationship with God. That was lost. You once had responsibility with God. That was lost. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were made? They were placed in the garden. They not only walked with God in the cool of the day and had a relationship, but they had responsibility. 
They tended the garden. They named the animals. They worked with God and had responsibility. He wanted to seek and to save what was lost. Not only people, but what they were meant to be. So Jesus is going through this now. And so now he tells this parable. And he's not like Archelaus because he is going to go to a distant country. And when he comes back, he will be king. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom is now and not yet fully here. But it's here. It's here wherever he gets his way among us. Wherever he gets his way with you and he gets his way with me. So let's move through this parable quickly. First, notice that a man goes to a distant country to be appointed king, then return. This whole idea that he's coming back has been a common theme through Luke. So notice that, that a man of noble birth goes to a distant country to be appointed king and then to return. Remember, there would be a delay. There would be a period of time before he would be able to come back. Notice the next thing is that his 10 servants are entrusted with the same amount to steward. His 10 servants are entrusted with the same amount to steward. Now, when we read about the parable of the 10 minas, what we may think is, did he give each one of them 10 minas? No, he gave 10 servants one mina. I don't know about you, but I haven't had many conversations lately with people that are saying, hey, how's your mina going? Okay, we don't use that kind of language, but a mina was uh, an amount of money, a fairly small amount of money. It was like three months wages for a poor day laborer. So again, what the, the noble man here is doing is he's entrusting just a little amount to each one of his servants to see what they can do with it while he's away. And he's giving them responsibility. Uh, notice the next thing is that when he returns as king, he calls them in to give an account. When he returns as king, he calls them in to give an account. One of the things that happens in our culture today is that we want to live without accountability, without consequences for our decisions and actions, especially if we make bad decisions or especially if we didn't feel like doing what we were supposed to do. But the Bible tells us is that there's coming a day when all of us will stand before God and give an account. I've said this to you before. One of the things that I live with in my own life is a sense of that accountability. I wish I lived with it even more deeply, but God wants to grow that in me. But also, I live with a sense of accountability for what you will one day be ready or not to stand before God. And so, now it's, it's uh, real time for these guys, these servants, to see what happened. So notice what happens. The first two servants make the most of the time and invest their mina gladly. The first two servants that are named make the most of the time and invest their mina gladly. Um, Ephesians 5.15 tells us that one of the responses God wants us to make in the kingdom of God is that once Christ comes into our life, now he wants to teach us how to make the most of the time. The word time there is kairos. It means opportunity. It means it's a, it's a, a marketplace term of buy up, redeem, look for all kinds of ways to make the most of it. And so rather than just being someone that goes, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. No, make the most of the time. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. So these first two do. The first one comes back. Notice the gladness in their heart. Sir, your mina, your mina has earned 10 more. It's like, I'm so grateful to be able to tell you that. I'm so grateful for the opportunity you gave me. What an adventure this has been. 
sir, your mina has earned five more. And so in both cases, I love the heart there. You can, you can feel the privilege they feel, the excitement they feel to share that. The next thing I want you to see is that the king generously rewards their faithful service. The king generously rewards their faithful service. Now, when we talk about this, I want you to keep this in mind because later, one of the other servants is going to say that this guy doesn't have a big heart. So keep in mind that when these people come back and they tell about how they use their opportunity, notice that what happens there is that he quickly gives them way more than was expected. A mina is just a small amount, but what does he say to the first guy? Hey, because you've been faithful with just a small matter, I know I can trust you now. So I want you to be over 10 cities now that I'm king of this whole region. Wow! I'm pretty glad I took care of my mina that way, the guy must be thinking. Another one said, hey, with your five, I'm going to put you over five cities. To the measure that you responded, I'm going to give you even more responsibility. I'm going to reward you generously. Notice another thing, though, is that then he talks about another servant. By the way, this is brilliant storytelling. He doesn't say the third servant. He doesn't say third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. All of us are going, what about the other guy? He doesn't tell us. He just goes, let me tell you about one of the other servants. Another servant, if you're following along, excuses his inaction and blames his master. Another servant excuses his inaction and blames his master. You ever, you ever made excuses? I haven't, but I was just wondering if you have. <laughs> I was thinking about what excuses are. So uh, this week I just saw some of these quotes. Let me just move through these quickly. Excuses are lies wrapped up in reasons. That's an interesting idea there. This guy is definitely lying. If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Interesting. Here's another one. When someone truly cares about you, they make an effort, not an excuse. Let me pause there for a second. The first two servants cared enough about the master, they found a way. This other servant, you can just tell, he doesn't give a rip about his master or his master's interest. Here's the last one. Excuses will always be there for you. Opportunity won't. And that's what Jesus is teaching here is what way are you going to respond when I give you both kingdom relationship and kingdom responsibility? Are you just going to be about benefits? Or are you going to be about responsibility? Are you going to make excuses and blame me? You know, what kind of excuses do you fight with? After the first service, I asked one of the prayer team just to pray with me because I just said, would you pray for me? Because I don't feel very adequate to preach this today. What was, I, what was I tempted to do? I was tempted to say, I'm inadequate, go find someone else. Sometimes we say to God, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel like it. Other times we make excuses like, I'm too busy, I don't have the time. I'm not as good as somebody else at this. Whatever the excuses may be, they're lies, wrapped up as reasons. And they're terrible responses to God. It's helped me over the years, by the way, to understand someone once shared this definition of responsibility. Maybe it'll help you. Responsibility is my response to his ability. Responsibility is my response to his ability. 
In other words, if he says, as the king, I can help you do this, do you and I believe him? Or are we going to make excuses and blame him and say, it wasn't my fault. You're just, you're just expecting too much out of me. You're just not fair. Friends, sometimes that's just the most, isn't that an ugly response compared to the other two? Next thing I want you to see is that the master has that servant's mina given to the servant with 10. The master has that servant's mina given to the servant with 10. I love this part of the parable because all of a sudden the people standing nearby go, what? They're all going, unfair. Jesus goes, fair ended in the garden of Eden. This isn't about fair. This is about wisdom. You're the same way. Would you give your mina to someone who squandered it? Not if you're wise. Would you give it to the person that made 10 with it or five with it? 10. Why? Because you know you can trust them without whatever amount you give them, little or big. And that's what he says. In fact, let's read that verse uh, again, verse 26 in the second grade box, just to hear Jesus' words. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So here's what I want you to see in this parable of the 10 minus. How I handle responsibility brings loss or more responsibility if you're following along. How I handle responsibility brings loss or more responsibility. And I'm telling you, great loss. Now, I know some of you may just be bothered by that last verse where he says, as for those who hated me, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Some of us go, wow, that's like severe. That's overreaction, friends. That wasn't an overreaction at all when there's a kingdom. Ultimately, friends, any enemies of God, are, they're going to face the consequences of their choices. You and I are going to face the consequences of our choices. We can't have it both ways. We can't hate and expect to be welcomed in like that. And so this is a serious call to accountability, responsibility. And then again, it shows our true colors, doesn't it? You see, the king, the nobleman, was gone long enough to find out what people were really like. This wasn't catching them in the first moment and saying, gotcha. No, this was, no, I'm going to give you plenty of time to learn how to do this. And when I come back, I'm going to see where your heart is. And so, friends, this is a character check. So how do we, if you're sitting here today and saying, man, I want to learn how to grow in this relationship and this responsibility in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done for me, then here's the last section I want to talk to you about how we can take personal responsibility. And you'll notice that there's two questions there. Years ago, I heard Rick Warren say this. He said, I believe that one day when we stand before God and give an account of our lives, he's going to ask us primarily two questions. The first is, what did you do with my son? And the second is, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And what did you do with what I gave you? Now, if you're following along, I want to just unpack those two questions and bring it home. First, what am I doing with Jesus? Do I want him to be my king? What am I doing with Jesus? Do I want him to be my king? Um, Years ago, I, I heard this quote by Daniel Webster. I meant to share this earlier in the message. 
But I've never been able to forget this. And so he was one of our great statesmen in the 19th century. Look at these words. The most important thought that ever occupied my mind, this guy was brilliant, friends, is that of my individual responsibility to God. The most important thought that ever occupied my mind is that of my individual responsibility to God. Wow. He understood it. He got it. And I keep thinking to myself, what is it? What is the difference between how some people, they get that, and other people, they never, ever get that? And they live their whole life without any sense of responsibility to God. Wow. So what, if, what am I doing with Jesus? Am I really willing to let him be my king, my Lord? Steve mentioned this last week when we baptized people, and I just said it earlier, was this idea we asked people, are you willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life each day from now on? Why? Because if they are not ready to do that, then it's going to be shallow Christianity from then on. But when you and I are willing to let him be Lord, willing to let him be king, that's kingdom talk. That's the whole reason Jesus came to seek and to save was both relationship and responsibility, response to his ability. And so it doesn't matter what we do with what he gave us if he's not the Lord of our life, because then it'll all be performance. It'll all be trying to earn and stuff. We won't be doing it out of the right motive. But once he becomes, once you deal with the Lord question in your life, then everything can flow differently. You see all your stuff. You talk like the servants do. You're mina. It's your mina. I'm yours. You're the Lord of my life. The other question is, what am I doing with what he gave me? What am I doing with what he gave me? What are those things? What is, you know, he, he's given you time. How many days and years on earth you have, I don't know. Only he knows. He's given you money. He's given you relationships. He's given you abilities. He's given you opportunities. The question is, what are we doing with those things? And I've thought about this a lot in my life and what it means. And look at Luke 16. This is one of the things he said back when we looked at stewardship earlier this last year. If you are faithful, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And so the question is, is have you come to a place where now you're seeing everything in light of the kingdom of God? Where now you go, okay, Lord, um, I understand. You came to be the Lord of my life and not just the Savior. So I want to start each day by saying, God, how would you want me to live this day? How do you want me to interact with this person? How do you want me to look at my money? How do you want me to look at the time that I have today? How can I use it to glorify you and serve you? Here to serve my response to your ability. Let me just say that over the last few weeks, I've had one of the weirdest last few weeks. I've, I've been out of town some in some outside speaking, visiting my family, and also doing some studying. But a couple things tie into this. Last Sunday, I was worshiping in Phoenix, Arizona, just actually the East Valley in Apache Junction, uh, where my parents winter. And uh, uh, when I got there on Saturday night, my parents announced to me that they had just sold their place and now would be spending winters, at least for the near future, back here in Springfield. And so my dad, if you didn't know this already, my dad for the last 10 years 
all 10 winters, has been preaching every Sunday without charge and having a church service there in the park that they retired to. About 50, 60, 70 people come to that. So anyway, he gets done preaching. And when he gets done preaching, he says, I need to share with you, this will be my last Sunday to preach here. And I'm so grateful that I've met you. And as he did that, I could just hear people start crying. Not everybody, but people started crying. And then eventually, after a long pause, they all stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad I got to witness this. But I also found myself thinking, what was it that caused my dad at 80 years of age to say, how can I serve in this park? How can I glorify God? He would tell you that at 19 years of age, he met Jesus Christ and he knew Jesus was calling him into relationship and responsibility. And he said, yes. And he surrendered his life to Christ. And the rest, as they say, is history. Let me say one more thing. After the service was over, there was this guy. His name was Warren. And I've met him over the years because he runs sound. And sometimes I've preached out there uh, to help my dad out. And so anyway, I just went up to Warren. I said, Warren, thank you so much for your serving heart. And he said something that I hear around here all the time because there's a whole bunch of people that live in light of the kingdom of God around here. This guy looked at me and he said, 79 years old now, he says, it's a privilege. He said, but it's also a responsibility. I thought, this guy's going to help me preach my sermon next Sunday. <laughs> but no, he looked at me and he said, you know what? He says, some people say, well, I don't have any abilities. And they make excuses and all that. But he says, we all have abilities. The question is, will we let God use them? And he says, my favorite deal is kids. He said, you know, I'm out here for three months. So I come out here January every year. He lives in Canada. And he says, in September, October, November, December, I get to work with the kids, five and six years old. I love them. He says, I figure if I can get the word of God into their hearts at an early age, it'll change their lives. I thought to myself, this guy lives in light of the kingdom of God. In his retirement years, he's a kingdom guy. Well, I told you I did some outside speaking and I had the privilege of being invited down to Kentucky to a bank where, um, again, some of the board members there are believers and uh, in fact, quite a few of them, and their lives were changed about 20 years ago when they went to a conference where a speaker challenged them to say, how much is enough? Meaning, how much is enough money? And uh, they were on this fast track to become very wealthy, and so the four of them were so wrecked by that question, they got together, and they just began to say, okay, how much is enough? Am I going to just keep piling up more for myself, or how much can I live on that would be reasonable, and then what do I do with the rest? And these four guys said, they all worked for several days. They went on a retreat together. They worked on a number. They shared it with each other. And then they said, okay, now hold me accountable. I'm going to give all the rest to the kingdom of God. That was 20 years ago. The stories they have to tell are remarkable. One of these guys, his name is Pete. Pete when God began to work in his heart, looked for ways not only to make money, but he actually started one of his businesses inside a maximum security prison. He wanted to give dignity and he wanted to give opportunities to these people that the world said were done. 
So to these people, he began to give jobs of making chairs, and they began to make more money inside the prison than they'd ever made outside, and they could help their families, and they could do things, and he could teach them about Jesus Christ and the relationship and responsibility he wanted to give them to esteem them. And it doesn't always work out well. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but God prompted him to do that. After communion today, I'm going to show you a video of another lesson God's taught Pete and his wife, Debbie, in a little bit more tangible way. But I guess what I want to say to you is this. What's in your hand? What's God given you? Are you going to make excuses and say, well, I'm not going to be able to do it as well as them, or I'm not going to, I'm not adequate? Hey, I know that temptation. It's a lie wrapped in a reason. God wants to teach us the beauty of responsibility in the kingdom. One last story. So I'm with my mom and dad this last week. And friends, I cherish every opportunity I get to be with them. I know the days are getting shorter. But I'm with my mom, and some of you know that for over 35 years now, she's had painful fibromyalgia. And you, many of you didn't know my mom before when she was a nurse and when she was on the go, and she and my dad would just, like, attack life. My mom said to me, she said, you know, Jeff, when I think about parables like this one, I often feel very guilty because I can't do what I used to be able to do. I look at your dad, and he's like the Energizer Bunny, and I say, what's wrong with me? I said, Mom, thanks for telling me this, because this is the balance. But I said, do you realize the notes you send, the prayers you pray, the hugs you give, the love you share, the humor you give to us, is you saying, I will give what you gave to me to serve and glorify you. I said, I don't think you'll know till heaven how much God can take someone who says, this is my response to your ability. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you, guys, so many of you, for responding to Jesus as Lord. And if you're here and you haven't, can I just tell you, you'll lose more than you gain if you refuse to let him be the Lord. But if you will let him be the Lord, you'll gain more than you'll use. He can, he'll entrust you with more. But he's looking to see if you'll be faithful with what you have now. And he wants to grow your heart so it's bigger, kingdom size. Let me pray. Now, Lord, it's a privilege to preach your word. It's a privilege to know you. It's a privilege to meet other people who are kingdom builders rather than excuse makers. I pray that you'll help us as a church family to recognize that you're calling us into relationship and responsibility. Oh, God, help us to make the most of the time, both individually and together. And now as we take communion, we thank you for the reminder that you wanted us to have by sharing it together. What a privilege. Amen. In just a moment, uh, the ushers are going to bring trays with double cups, grape juice and bread stacked on top of each other. And we invite you to take those. Um, if you are wondering, hey, I'm not from this church, or hey, am I supposed to take it? This is open to any person who's entrusted their life to Jesus Christ. And you may say, I haven't done that yet. Well, two ideas. One, do you realize today could be the day? 
Today may be the day the Lord's saying, will you entrust your life to me so that I can entrust what I want to entrust to you and begin to work in your life? If you're willing to do that, this could be the first thing you do as a Christian. You could call on the name of the Lord and he'll save you and he'll make you a new person. If you're not ready to do that yet, what we would say to you very carefully is, don't put that off too long. Use this time while we're here to think about what may be keeping you from trusting Christ and his call on your life. And again, we will respect that. Just let the trade pass. No one will look down on you. But let's use this time. Let's use this time to remember Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he took a cup and he said, whenever you take this, you proclaim what I've done for you over your life. I want you to remember me. What did he do? We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. The Bible says is that he didn't ask us to take responsibility more than he took responsibility. He even took responsibility for our sins, even though they weren't his. And he paid for them so that we could be saved, remade, renewed, and kingdom builders. So whatever it is that may be blocking your relationship, whatever area you maybe you haven't been yielding your life to the Lord, keep short accounts. Let him cleanse you. If you haven't trusted Christ, use this time to think about that. And if you need him to help you with some of your excuses, give those to him during communion. Let's remember Jesus.
Jesus was so smart. He knew we would forget. He knew there would be times where we get away from responding to him as Lord. And so he wanted us to remember what he did that changes our whole motivation in life. So he said, every time you lose sight of your purpose in life, every time you lose sight of why you're here, remember me. Remember that I saw no price too expensive to pay to redeem you, to save you, to make you a kingdom builder. And so he gave his body for us. He said, I'll go first. And man, am I glad he did, aren't you? So the early believers celebrated communion. That's what we're going to do, eat, is eat this and remember Jesus. After supper, I thought about this the other day. When I'm tempted to be half-hearted in my serving God, as I am sometimes, I remember the cup, which signifies that he gave it all. Every last drop. Praise his name. Drink this and remember Jesus. So, one of the responses that the early church had, we read in historical documents, is that they would often take an offering after communion. Why? Because they were so blessed by what God had entrusted to them, what God had done for them, they wanted to pass it on. So they often took an offering, a benevolence offering, to help take care of the needs in their own family, church family. That's what we've been doing for 30 years. So if you give to this offering, please know that it will be stewarded by some trustworthy people in our church in the benevolence fund to people going through times of shortage or difficulty. So I told you we were going to show a video. The team thought this might be a good idea. And when I saw it, I said, I just got to meet this guy. I didn't know we were, they were going to do that. And so... This Pete Oaks and his wife, Debbie, tell a story, but it's not really about them. It's about how they were struck by a person who had a lot less and how she responded to God. And so watch this story. had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her, and, and she said, there was a widow in need, and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. 
And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car, but she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. 
Yeah, so this is one story I would never forget in my life. the beauty of responsibility when we respond to God's ability. Amen? And that lady did something in the kingdom of God that you and I can do, and that's listen and respond with whatever he shows us to do. And uh, that can set off a chain reaction. You know, God, he wants something for us more than he wants something from us. And he wants to do things through us. So let me just... uh, Pray for you. Pray for us. As you go, let me remind you, there's always people down front that would be glad to pray with you. I can't, I can't get over the response that so many of you have made, and I just need to tell you that at times when I'm fickle in my faith, many of you have pointed me back to the joy of kingdom responsibility. This morning, I was shaking hands with a person and just saying, thank you, thanks for serving, greeting people at the door. And they said, it's a privilege. I thought, it's a get-to. Let's pray. Now, God, there's something in our nature, old nature, that wars against this. But you're changing our minds. You're changing our hearts. You're making us new. Show us how to see responsibility and the opportunity and beauty that it holds if we give ourselves first to you and then to whoever you point us to. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you.